Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> My name is Jason Barris. I serve as one of the pastors here at Redeemer. <clears throat> it is great to see you this morning. We enjoyed two wonderful Christmas Eve services yesterday. I hope you were able to join us. This is our regular Friday gathering that we have here at the JW Marriott every Friday. This is your first time with us on a Friday. Just let me extend to you a warm welcome. We are glad that you are here with us. We gather every week to encourage one another in the Lord, to hear God's word read, to sing truth to one another, to sing praises to God, and also to hear God's voice in his word as it is preached to us. This morning, we will be looking at the New Testament book of James. James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. If you have a Bible, turn with me there. The letter of James was written by the pastor of the church of Jerusalem in the early days of the church. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus the son of Joseph and Mary, he was writing this letter to some of his former church members who had been scattered from Jerusalem because of persecution to the surrounding areas. These Christians were facing many difficulties because of their faith in Christ. And James, in this letter, is urging them to live lives that would honor God in the midst of those circumstances. James has already raised the subject of trials at the beginning of this book, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. He tells them, in chapter 1, that trials are the difficulties and troubles that come into our lives by God. That God actually brings difficulties into the lives of His people to test them, to, to show the quality of a person's faith, and to purify it. God is like a great goldsmith, a metal worker, bringing the fire of trials into our lives to test our faith, to see if our faith is real, and also to purify it, to burn away the impurities in our hearts. And James teaches there in James 1 that if we are to persevere through the sufferings of trials, we need an eternal perspective. We need far-sighted vision. We need to see that God is working eternal good in our souls through trials. That God intends to bring difficulties into the lives of His people for our growth and holiness, preparing us to see Him. Now our section this morning is James 5, verses 7 to 11. And my main point this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. Christians wait patiently for Jesus to come again. Christians wait patiently for Jesus to come again because He will set everything right. Christians wait patiently for Jesus to come again because He will set everything right. As we prepare to work through our text this morning, let's go to the Lord one more time and ask Him for His help. 
Father, we thank You for revealing Yourself to us in Your Word. Father, we thank You even more for revealing Yourself most clearly through Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You that 2,000 years ago, You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, fully God, to come and, and be a man. To be born to a woman, a virgin named Mary. To, to enter into our world, our universe, and our experience. To know our sufferings. And to suffer for us on the cross. We pray that this morning as we remember His first coming, that we would be encouraged with Your goodness to us in Christ. And that we would have the grace to have eyes to look forward to His second coming with hope and with patience. We pray that Your Spirit would open our eyes this morning to see your goodness to us in Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. Christians wait patiently for Jesus to come again because He will set everything right. We have three points from the text this morning. Number one, wait with patient hearts. Wait with patient hearts. Number two, beware an impatient heart. Beware an impatient heart. And number three, remember... God's good purposes. Remember God's good purposes. Point number one, wait with patient hearts. In the previous section to ours, verses 1 to 6 of chapter 5, James warns the unbelieving rich people of God's wrath which is about to come upon them. These rich people have abused and exploited the poor. And because of their evil ways, God promises judgment unless they repent. It's interesting to note that James doesn't have a category in his book for rich Christians. He doesn't have a category for rich Christians. That doesn't mean that there could never be a rich Christian. I think we might know one or two. But in James' day, all of the Christians that he knew were poor. It is the rich that were the believers in his context. Um, the unbelievers in his context. The believers, all of the believers that he knew were poor and persecuted. Now James turns to his hearers, these Christians in verse 7, and he tells them how they should live in light of being mistreated in this world. I hope you find his words relevant to you this morning. Read with me, if you will, verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What James is touching on in this section is the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. The doctrine of the second coming of Christ. Today is the day that many Christians celebrate the first coming of Christ. Jesus coming. B. 
being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary and being born into a poor family, leaving the riches of heaven and becoming a little baby, born into a poor family of a a carpenter and his wife, being born among cows and sheep and the beasts of a farm. We remember that beautiful picture of a, of a baby, God in human flesh. And we think, what, what a beautiful picture, that little manger scene, that little nativity. I don't know what you think about that Christmas story that is there in Scripture. Whether you think it's just a nice story to think about. You just like babies. Let me tell you this morning that Christmas is not just the story of a a little baby that was born once a long time ago that is irrelevant to us. That Christmas story is the beginning of God's plan to save His people from their sins. That baby that was born, that, that story of a baby being born and laid in a manger was just the beginning of of the story. It's just the beginning of, of the incarnation of God becoming human. But the story didn't end there. It started there. That Jesus grew up. He became a man. He lived a perfect life. The life that you and I haven't lived. He always lived His life perfectly according to God's standards and always pleased His Heavenly Father. And even though He was perfect... And even though He came and revealed what God was like through His life and His works, He was hated by by the people that He came to save. He was persecuted and then He was killed, crucified on the cross as if He was a criminal when He didn't deserve it. But He did it willingly. He laid down His life as a sacrifice for sinners like you and me. This Jesus who died this sacrificial death, offers salvation to any that would come to Him with repentance and faith. If we would turn from our sins, if we would look at Christ and trust in Him and what He and He alone has done on the cross for our sins, we too can be restored to a right relationship with God. We can become a child of God, right with Him through Christ. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave three days later. He rose in victory, showing His power over sin and death and His ability to offer salvation to any that would come to Him. And that Jesus, after revealing Himself, resurrected and alive to His disciples, He ascended back to heaven. He sat down at the right hand of His Father in heaven. And He now is there interceding for us, ruling over His church as His church spreads throughout the world, declaring this salvation in the Gospel message. This Jesus is still alive. He came once to die for sinners. He came once to be our salvation. He will come a second time as a warrior and as a judge. And when He comes a second time, He will not come as a lowly baby. He will come as a reigning king and He will set everything right. He will establish a perfect government. 
everything will be set right on that day. The doctrine of the second coming is taught all throughout the New Testament. That doctrine teaches three things. Here you go. Jesus Christ will return a second time physically to this earth. That's the first thing that the doctrine of the second coming teaches. Jesus Christ will return physically to this earth. Number two, Jesus Christ, when he returns, we do not know. We do not know when he will return. That's the second thing the doctrine teaches. He will return. We don't know when it will be. No one knows when it will be. Do not trust or listen to anyone who tells you when it will be. Because Jesus told us that no one knows when it will be. His angels do not even know. He says that he does not even know. How do you think you can know if Jesus doesn't know? The third thing the doctrine of the second coming teaches is that we must always be ready. We must always be ready. He will return. Make no mistake. We don't know when it will be. It might be before the end of this sermon. It might be before the end of this point. Even so come, Lord Jesus. But because we don't know which moment it will be, we must be ready every moment. From this moment forward. We must make ourselves ready to see the King. That's James' concern here. So he tells them, be patient. So the application of this doctrine of the second coming that James gives to his hearers is, be patient until he returns. Be patient because he could come at any time. Do not put your hopes in this life. Do not put your hopes... In this world, do not put your hopes in anything that this world has to offer. Put your hopes in Christ's return. Fix your hope on Christ, who will return at any moment to set everything right. We are a people that are waiting. James then gives them an illustration of the farmer to help them understand How to wait. See it there in the second half of verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Farmers are good at waiting. Are you good at waiting? I worked on a farm as a teenager. My dad came from a long line of farmers. His dad was the sixth generation farmer on the same dairy farm in upstate New York for a matter of almost a couple of hundred years. My dad left the farm. He would have been the seventh generation. But because my dad was called into ministry and left the farm, But because he had learned so much from growing up on a farm, he wanted us to learn similar things. So he told us that we were going to work for the farmer that was in our church. So from the time we were little, we were working on the farm, earning some spending money. When we were really little, we helped picking cantaloupes and watermelon and carrying them out to the ends of the rows. 
picking tomatoes and peppers. As we got older, we did more and more of the farm work to the point when I was in high school and summers in university, I would even drive tractors, do all of that farm work. I don't think I'm patient enough to be a farmer. But that doesn't mean that we don't have something to learn from farmers. Farmers are patient. Farmers work faithfully every day of the week, and they're patient for their reward, which comes at the end of the harvest. They have to do a lot of work to prepare for that harvest, day after day after day of labor. Farmers have little power to affect the outcome of their work. They have to pray. They have to wait for the right rain to come at the right time. That rain has to be there at the beginning or at the end or they'll lose that crop. But because of their hope for that harvest that's coming a couple of seasons away, they work faithfully every day until then. James says, you, Christians, be like the farmer. Learn from the farmer and wait patiently for that harvest which is coming. He then repeats his command in verse 8. You also, like the farmer, be patient. In the same way, you too, wait patiently. He then gives them a second command, a similar one. But it's a command to help them understand how to remain patient. He says, establish your hearts. Or strengthen your hearts. This is how we remain patient. We prepare our hearts for the wait. We strengthen them for the wait. We are to fortify and establish our hearts against giving in to temptations or despairing in the midst of difficult circumstances. Christians need strong hearts that trust in God when all hope seems lost. To trust in God's promises when it looks like they will never come to pass. Christians are never to believe the lie that because Christ hasn't returned yet, that He will never return. That's bad logic. Christ has not returned yet. But we know our God. He is a faithful God. And we know He will always keep His promises. And so we strengthen our hearts. We encourage ourselves. I remember the farmer that I worked for delighting in each step of the process along the way as he was farming. I remember him just standing and looking out over the fields after they'd been plowed and enjoying the beauty of plowed fields. That work accomplished. He could go to bed happy because the fields were plowed. That's only the first step in a long process. But he would stand there and enjoy the plowed fields. I remember him delighting and almost being giddy when he saw the first little sprouts of those crops, that little corn, that little soybean sprout. And then you'd look over and you'd see green spreading out over all of those fields. He'd be so excited to see those little, those little signs along the way in anticipation of that harvest. He would encourage his heart with the little victories, the little signs of of goodness that was anticipating that harvest. We are to be like the farmer that strengthens our heart along the way as we see God's goodness in little ways, anticipating that final day when everything good will come to us at Christ's return. 
This is why fellowship in a local church is so important. So much of what we do as a church, as members of a local church together, is we strengthen one another. We encourage each other's faith. We remind each other of what is true. We support each other when one of us is hurting or tempted or tempted to despair. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're with us. You are always welcome to come. But as you eavesdrop on this conversation we're having from God's Word, I wonder, let me ask you a question. What do you hope in as you look to the future? Where do your hopes lie? Do you have any confidence that your hopes will come true? We as Christians do not hope in ideas. We're not just optimistic and happy people. We put our hopes in a person. Jesus Christ, God become man who always keeps his promises and who is coming back soon. And let me ask you, Christian, are you excited for Christ's return? Are you looking forward to it? Are there other things that you are more excited about? Other things in your purview in in the near future that are more exciting to you than Christ's return? Perhaps the thought of Christ returning today would be interrupting the plans that you have. Let me encourage you, set aside any hope that you would put above the return of Christ. And as you prepare for Christ's return, be busy like the farmer. Don't be lazy. You want him to find you busy about the work of the kingdom, faithful at your post like the steward and the servant in those parables that Jesus taught, waiting for the Master to return, ready for Him to find us faithful. This leads us to our second point this morning. Point number one was wait with patient hearts. Point number two is beware an impatient heart. Beware an impatient heart. James' discussion turns from encouraging them with the hope of Jesus' return to now warning them of Jesus' judgment in case some of them would not be ready. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James warns them against impatient speech. Impatient speech that shows of an impatient heart. When we are going through trials and difficulties, when we are going through much suffering in this life, as all Christians will, we will all face the temptation to take out our frustrations on other people. To take it out on others. Even to blame others for our circumstances, our difficulties. James warns them against impatient words that show an impatient heart. Do not grumble against one another. He says this then with the warning so that you may not be judged. When Jesus returns, He will judge justly with perfect justice. The hope in that first section is that He would come and defend us. That Jesus would come and defend us against those that would mistreat us in this world. That He would come and be our defender. 
James then warns them and says, Beware lest Jesus comes as your judge and condemns you. He will judge with perfect justice. And He will either defend you or condemn you. He warns against the anger that can build up in our hearts. Lashes out at other people. That shows that we do not trust God to keep His promises. We take matters into our own hands. We take it out on other people. Jesus taught in Matthew 7 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Impatient speech shows an impatient heart. Shows we do not trust God. Let me warn you not only against impatient speech, but against impatient actions as well. Our impatient hearts might lead to impatient actions. Like revenge. Which is partly what James' concern is here. That we would take matters into our own hands and seek to be the judge. The one to exact justice and vengeance on those that would hurt us. Do not believe the lie of revenge. Getting back at others will in any way satisfy us. You were not created to be the ultimate judge. You were created to entrust yourself to the judge that is Jesus Christ and entrust all of your circumstances to His perfect judgment. He will always enact judgment perfectly. Now let me make a a caveat here, a statement that this doesn't mean that we just give up and allow people to abuse us. His warnings to us do not mean that we give up and only wait for Christ's return for justice to happen. If you are being abused or if you see people that are being abused, do what you can to defend them. Do what you can to pursue any justice that a government might offer. Do what you can to care for those that are hurting. If you are being abused or taken advantage of, we would love to know about it as your elders and pastors here. We would love to do what we can to defend you. Even the Apostle Paul defended himself when he was mistreated against the the laws of Rome. We would love to do what we can to help you if you are being mistreated. But that being said, there will never be perfect justice in this life. And we should not take matters into our own hands. We should be patient. There are going to be people in this life that are above the law. There are going to be people in this life who abuse people. They will be judged justly when Christ returns. And we hope in that day. That is point number two. Wait. Beware an impatient heart. Beware an impatient heart. And point number three this morning... Verses 10 and 11 is remember God's good purposes. Remember God's good purposes. James concludes his section by holding out examples to us of people who were patient under suffering. And he reminds these Christians of God's good purposes for his people at the end of trials. Look at verse 10 as an example of suffering and patience, brothers. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
James holds out the prophets to these Christians as an example to them. Which prophets is he talking about? Well, he doesn't say. He just says the prophets. I'm sure we can all remember the prophet Jeremiah, who's called the weeping prophet, who was sent out as a young man to preach against his people, knowing that they would never listen to him, knowing that they would reject his message. He weeps at the judgment that's going to come. He warns them of the judgment. They do not listen, and the judgment comes. He's abused by the people. He's abused by kings. He's rejected by his own people when he's warning them things that are true. He patiently persevered in speaking truth, though everyone was against him. God had his side. And God ultimately is his judge and brought judgment against those that abused him. Hebrews 11 talks about many of these prophets with a list of things that they experience. Hebrews 11, what more shall I say? Verse 32, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended by God through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. God's plans for these prophets that were faithful in the midst of persecution and suffering was that we would all together, when Christ returns, receive God's good justice and judgment and God. God's good kingdom in heaven together forever. Look at the principle he lays out there in verse 11. We consider those blessed who remained steadfast. How many of us would want to be a traitor? How many of us would want to be a person who gave up? How many of us would want to be the one who, who gave in? Who gave up and gave in in spite of the promises? The ones that are blessed are those who remain steadfast, patient in suffering, waiting for Christ's return. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you patiently endure suffering, you are in good company. For many have gone before who did the same. God was faithful to them. He will be faithful to you. 
Persevere. Do not give up hope. Wait patiently. As you consider what James does here in holding out the example of the prophets, let me encourage you to read your Bibles. Read the lives of the faithful who have gone before and be encouraged by their example of faithfulness in the midst of suffering. Let me encourage you also to read Christian books, Christian biographies about faithful Christians in in the last 2,000 years of church history who were faithful to God's Word, who were faithful to declare His Word, who were faithful to take His Gospel. There are many lives of faithful reformers, faithful pastors, faithful missionaries that would encourage your heart and encourage you to persevere when things are difficult. James lastly holds out Job as an example. He says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job is an encouraging book to those who are suffering. Job loses everything at the hands of Satan. Loses all of his possessions, but even more, he loses all of his family members, all of his children. He even loses his health. And yet he continues to trust God, even though he has many questions about what is really going on. And God is faithful to him. He comes and reveals himself to him. He encourages Job and he restores him. Through the process, Job learns much about God, about who he is, about his character. And is reminded that he can be trusted no matter what we face in this life. As you consider Job and you consider his example, it isn't just his life that you see. What you see is the purpose of the Lord. You see God's good plans for his people. You see the Lord's character, that He is compassionate and merciful. He has good in store for us because He is good. We who are God's people trust in the character of God. Our hope is in a faithful God who is good and has good plans for us that include a little bit of suffering in this life to prepare us for the next life. As we wait for Christ's second coming, let me encourage you today to look back at Jesus' first coming and take heart. When Christ came, there had been 400 years of silence. Nothing had been heard for 400 years from God. And then, a prophecy. And then, a baby. And then a Messiah. This Messiah had been promised for thousands of years and finally he broke in when nobody expected it. And God was faithful to those promises. He kept his word. Take heart this morning. It has now been a couple of thousand years since Christ returned to heaven, promising to return at any time. Do not lose heart. Do not give up. Our God is faithful and He will keep His promises. Christ is coming soon. Put your hope in Him. As you hear a sermon like this, sermon to be patient, it may sound to you like we're just teaching a good moral, like patience is a virtue. 
Patience is a virtue. But patience is not an end in itself. As if the most important thing is being a patient person. The most important thing is not being a patient person. The most important thing is trusting in a God who has good things in store for us if we are patient now. James says back in our first section that the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He's not just saying be patient like the farmer. He's saying be patient like the farmer who has his eyes set on the good that is to come. This precious fruit. God has precious things in store for us if we would be patient and trust Him. 2 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul says, As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved His appearing. God's people are patient because we are waiting for something so much better on the other side. John Bunyan wrote in his famous work, A Pilgrim's Progress, which is an allegory of the Christian life, a good parable for us. The Holy Spirit reveals to the little pilgrim something about the life of the Christian as he's heading out on his journey. He brings him and he teaches him this parable. The Holy Spirit takes him by the hand, the interpreter, And he has him go into a little room where he sees two little children sitting, each one on his chair. So we have two children. The name of the older child was Passion. The name of the younger child was Patience. Passion seemed very discontent, but Patience was very quiet. Then Christian asked to the interpreter, why is Passion so discontent? The interpreter answers, Their governor would have him wait for his good things, for his best things, until next year. But he wants to have all of his good things now. But patience is willing to wait. Then I saw that someone came to Passion and offered him a bag of treasure and poured it out before him. Passion took it up and rejoiced in the treasure and laughed scornfully at patience. But I watched only a little while and all that treasure had wasted away and passion had nothing left but rags. Then Christian said to the interpreter, explain this matter to me more fully. So the interpreter said, these two boys are pictures. Passion of the men of this world, and patience of those of the world that is to come. For as you see here, passion demands to have everything now, this year, that is to say, in this world. So are the men of this world. They demand all of their good things now. They cannot wait until next year. That is, until the next life. 
That proverb, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, is of more authority with them than are all of the divine promises of the good world to come. But as you saw, he had quickly wasted all of that treasure away. And he had left for himself nothing but rags. So it will be with all of the men of this world at the end. They will be left with nothing. Then Christian said, now I see patience has the best wisdom and that in many ways. First, because he waits for his best things and also because he will have his glory when the other has nothing left but rags. The interpreter says, no, you must add another. The glory of the next world will never wear out. Whereas the glory of this world is suddenly gone. Therefore, passion really has no reason to laugh at patience because he had his good things first. As patience will have to laugh at passion because he will have his best things last. Therefore, his portion will not only last, it will last forever. So then Christian says, I realize it is not best to covet for the things that are now, but to wait for the things that are to come. The interpreter says, you speak the truth. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. This is a a wonderful picture of what James is talking about here. We, God's people, wait patiently for Christ to come when He will usher us into His eternal kingdom and give us all good things for us to enjoy forever. The most important thing that we will have to enjoy is Jesus Himself. As we get to stand in His presence, delighting in His beauty and in His, uh, in His holiness, delighting in His character and all that He is for us, delighting in all that He's done for us forever. Let me encourage you, Christian. Do not give up. Do not give in. Do not lose hope. For Christ is coming. And He will come soon. And on that day, everything will be set right. And all of your hopes will be met. And so much more. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this reminder of Your Son's return. We long for that day. Oh, that it would be today. Pray that You would help us to take heart and to strengthen ourselves in our faith. To strengthen one another to wait for that day. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.